Just a uh, quick announcement too about Connect Groups because I am looking after those. Um, we kind of announced that Connect Groups are going to become a part of church life. And so out on the wall at the moment, there is a whole bunch of posters um, up advertising the ones that are kind of ready to go in the next couple of weeks. Uh, initially, we were, I was thinking, okay, let's go next week, but next week is engine room. So the way connect groups work is we, you know, we meet every week kind of thing or every two weeks depending on the group. And when we have engine room, our connect groups don't meet that week. We actually come to the prayer meeting at church and we pray together. And it's also a great, we'll actually pray in our connect groups. Um, and that's all fantastic and happening. The one that is missing from up there, because I've been so busy, my head fell off completely. But I'll be um, leading up, heading up the men's one. And that will be on a Thursday. Those will be on Thursday night soon. So there'll be more information about that. I need to talk to a few blokes first before we uh, get started. So uh, there's, about, there's probably five that are going to start soon. And if you look up at there and, and you're like, they're all great, but I want to run one that's different then find someone who'll do it with you and then come and talk with me and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get you sorted out. Is that all right? Thanks for getting back to me on that one. That was awesome. Beauty. As you can see, we're Awakened Church. I love the flash red shirt. It was awesome. And uh, red ones go faster. So I'll make sure that I don't wear this shirt while I'm riding to church in the mornings. Might get me in trouble. Look, our theme for this month is Awaken. Obviously, our church, we have a new name, a new season, a new, uh, the, our destiny and the purpose that God has for us is always the same, which is to shine our light in the world, isn't it? Isn't it to be Jesus to the world? And there are times where the world agrees with everything that we say, and then there are seasons where the world doesn't agree with anything we say. And I think there are times where the world sees our light and is light with us, and then there are times where the, the world gets pretty dark. And all I have to say is as the lights go down, sorry, as, you know, as, as, as the darkness comes, the lights just shine all the brighter. And uh, I was looking into um, the parable of the ten virgins, which is what we're talking about today, or the ten bridesmaids is, is another way of putting it. And uh, they, it, the whole story is about the lamps that they have and what they have to carry. So I started looking at some YouTubes about how, how old lamps used to work. And with the Hebrews in particular, they had a couple of different kinds of lamps. One that were for processions that were quite large, that were supposed to light the way for others. And uh, it, it really became apparent when I was watching it, um, how light our world is today with modern technology. You know, say in, in Jesus' day at night time, if there was such a thing as a satellite taking a photo of the earth, if it was night time, the world would have been black. Where I don't know if you've seen those really, really cool photos where they take like a nighttime photo of the whole earth now and you can get these world maps and when it, you can see where there's no people living and then where there's people living, it's all, there's all these city lights and the, the planet glows at nighttime. And I, I just think of, you know, I, I've never not known electricity, power, cars. Uh, who, who remembers before the internet? Yeah, all right. Who doesn't remember before the internet? You, you guys are amazing. You, you just live in this world that is just so different to, you know, I've, I remember it being added. And I think in Jesus' day, when we were, they were looking at lamps and stuff, things were dark at nighttime. It wasn't safe to walk around after dark, ever, because it was too dark. I mean, I don't know if you've ever walked around a house with just a candle when there's a blackout, but you end up going so slow, you almost might as well not be walking 
Because if the candle blows, it's gone, it goes out. They're flipping hopeless to walk around with. So anyway, let's have a look. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 25, and we're going to read this parable. This parable is in kind of like a set of four that all kind of go together. Jesus has just been talking about what the kingdom of God looks like. He's been talking about when he comes and he returns. And that kind of is, is in, you know, is at the back of this. Um, but we're just going to read this, and I really want you to look at... The bridesmaids. I want you to think about who the groom is. We're going to discuss all of those kind of things. So if you're in Matthew 25, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven, and this is from the New Living Version, will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up. They prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy one for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The door was locked, and later when the other five bridesmaids finally returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open up the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't even know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know when the day or the hour of my return. So, Interesting parable that Jesus has about for when, for, for, for when the bridegroom returns. So I want to talk a little bit about Hebrew weddings. Because when you give a, you know, a, a picture to, to tell a story, you, you kind of need to understand what's going on. Jesus, a lot of the time, used uh, a lot of stories from his culture about you know, being a farmer about being this or being that. And now if you've never planted or grown anything, uh, you don't know how long things take. You know, it's just a, oh, it's just a picture. I'm, I know nothing about it. So Hebrew weddings are very, very different in first century AD. What would happen is when uh, Hebrew uh, young men and women, they, they decided that they would like to get married, um, that's when they started dating. There was no, you know, we just hook up and we kiss and oops, you know, we're pregnant, we better get married or, you know, we better figure out how we're going to look after this child. They had, abstinence was their choice. We don't mess around, we don't even touch uh, as a couple until after we're married. In fact, I was watching a modern day Orthodox Jew and they were interviewing him. And uh, after the pronouncement of your man, your husband and wife, and they get to hold hands, he was talking about the, the joy he was having about getting to hold his wife's hand for the very first time. Innocence and purity. You know, the world will say, oh, you know, by the time I want to get married, you know, I want to have a few partners because I want to know what to do. Let me encourage you, learning what to do with another person who doesn't know what to do, so you're discovering it together, is the best choice. Is there anyone who can agree with that? Anyway, we better not talk about that because the kids are going all red. So here we have Hebrews. What happens is the parents will talk and uh, the, the son will come with the father to the girl's house. 
they will talk about marriage and, you know, is this boy a good boy and is he going to be able to provide and all of those kind of things. And on that day, if there's agreement made, they, they literally sign an agreement and then from that day, they're actually married. But the groom leaves. He goes back to his father's house. If they're in another town or another city or far away, that's where he goes. And now his job is to build a room on his father's house where he and his bride will now live. And now in the Jewish culture, it becomes a game because she doesn't know when he's going to come back. And that's the game. She finds 10 friends, girls, girlfriends, to look after her and make sure that she stays on track. That if some other bloke starts looking and she goes, hey, they go, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're taken. Look away. Okay, yeah, no worries. They're there to make sure that she stays pure when, when it could be months or even a year. Where is this guy? They're like, he's coming. Don't you imagine how big the house is that he's building if it's taken this long? Imagine the extra stuff there. And so they're there to encourage and to bring joy and to keep the heart aflame. Now, when the guy finally gets the act together, he's worked a little hard, the, the, the parents will be helping and working and they, they build this room. Then when the boy finally or the young man finally decides to come back, now the game begins because he's like, I am going to catch her at her worst. Is it the middle of summer? And so when I turn up, she's going to be in the field and she's going to be all hot and sweaty and up to her elbows in mud and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, and the bride's coming. She's like, what? You know, I got to get ready. I mean, imagine your wedding day. Most girls know when it's coming months in advance. They've got the hairdresser booked. They've got the face stuff all happening and they're getting up at five o'clock and they're still miserable and tired by the time the wedding starts at two in the afternoon. They've had all this. Imagine where you hear he's coming and you're elbow deep in planting vegetables. Get over it. That's the game. All the bridesmaids here and they go, quick, some of them are working with you. Quick, go, go, go. The boss is like, get out of here, get out of here. And then you're like, whoa, 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 like chickens running to try and get washed and get dressed and get ready. And, and, and then they, the, the bride comes and, and then the ceremony starts where they come together. And there's some beautiful pictures in that because when that day when he finally comes and he comes and, and she's in the room and they're all dancing and celebrating and having fun and she's all by herself and, and the groom turns up with all of his friends and then they finally, you know, he signs the contract. So now they've got the legit contract. They've got 10 elders there because 10 is a big number in the Hebrew faith. You've got to have 10 witnesses. So they're all there and they're signing the and he's signing it. And then he walks in and there she is and she's with all the girlfriends and everyone's dancing and she comes in with her friends and then, and then he gets to see her and then he gets to whisper in her ear just little silent things and then he covers her with a veil. And then, and, that's, and, then, and, then, and then he goes to the room where they're going to get married. And then all of his friends and her friends, they all dance and celebrate. And they're like all bar mitzvah style. Um, but all morning, the Jewish people are taught that on your wedding day is, the, is a holy of holies. It is the holiest day that you will ever have as a Hebrew. And so all the women of the village go to the bride and say, lay hands on me and bless me. So all these people that have been coming to her from the village for blessing are now coming. And then when she walks into the bridal, into the, into the room where they'll be married, she walks up to him and she walks around him seven times. 
to break down any walls or any barriers that may be between them. And then they'll gather together and then they'll do the ceremony. And then when it's finished, they break the glass. And they're all excited. And that's to mourn as a people the temple that was destroyed. And it's to proclaim faith that we believe the temple will be rebuilt again. And they live this. And then... Then everyone celebrates and the couple go into a room for 30 minutes and they consummate their marriage. No, none of this waiting until four hours later. I don't know if you've ever had a wedding ceremony and you're married and nothing's happening for four hours or so. It's really hard to try and be happy trying to entertain you while sex is on your brain. (laughs) These guys, they just get it out of the way and then they come out and then they pick them up and they're carrying them on their shoulders and everyone's celebrating and then they have seven days of feasting. They know how to party, I tell you. That is the culture Jesus set up for the wedding. This is the culture that's set up so that we as believers will understand the, who Jesus is and, where, and how we relate to him. If you don't know who Jesus is, he's the son of God who was born and lived on the earth as a man. His whole purpose was to die for us because to live a, sin, a life with sin in it meant that we could never approach a holy God. So he took our sin and he died and three days he was in the grave and then he rose again and went to heaven and then he came back and hung out with the believers. And then he taught them about what eternal life was. He was from heaven. He went into hell and paid the price for us. And so that when we accept his free gift, we are completely saved. Christianity is not a religion of works where we do good things to get to heaven. We are the only faith on the planet that's not, that's not about what you have to do first. It's about what our Father in heaven did first. That he saw us and he knew us and we needed him. And so Jesus ascended up into heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen monkey, you know, like the Buddhist monkey, you know, monkey magic. And he goes, and the cloud comes and he's up into heaven. That's how Jesus went into heaven. I'm not lying. Look it up in the Bible, right? Jesus is there with all of the disciples. He's been with them for, you know, a, a, a long time after he, was, after he rose from the grave, went to heaven, came back down again. So they've seen him alive and he's eating things and they're freaking out because dead people don't walk through things. Dead people, like they're praying and then Jesus is in the room. It's like, how the heck did you do that? The door's locked. Like, he's just amazing. And so then it says, and they're all out on the, out on the mountain and, and, uh, and then Jesus, you know, tells, gives them the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It says, and then he just ascended up into heaven. And they're all standing there looking up in the air going, what the heck just happened? And then an angel appears. And they're like, oh, and I don't know if you've ever seen anywhere in the Bible where an angel appears, but nobody is really happy when it happens. They're all afraid. So they're all freaking out. They're all, Jesus disappeared up in heaven. And then an angel appears. And then they're like, ah, and then he's like, don't be afraid. And the same way that you saw him go is the same way he will return. So that is the introduction to this parable that Jesus has about the wedding. So who is the bridegroom in this story? The bridegroom in this story, if we've got the next slide, who is the bridegroom? It's Jesus. Next slide, please. Ta-da! Ephesians 5.25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her 
to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So, who are the virgins? Who are the bridesmaids? Can we go to the next one? With the bridesmaids, we have the wise and we have the foolish. So it's cool when you look up these words because you'll, you'll start to understand a little bit of it because, you know, when we're religious a little bit and we go, oh, yes, the wise and the foolish, yeah, yes, I don't want to be, I don't, Lord, please don't let me be foolish. Um, actually, the word Jesus uses is quite funny. But the word for wise is intelligent, wise, prudent, mindful of one's interests. Now, I love the English language. The more you look at the Greek and all of what other languages say, and then you try to kind of put it the other way, um, you actually understand the full power of words. Like if I said to you, be careful. My kids go, oh, if, if, if they're doing something that's a little bit dangerous, and I go, be careful. Yeah, 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 Dad, we know, we know. But if I said, hey, be full of care. Like, this is dangerous. Don't muck around. Like, give it a go, but pay attention. <laughs> then they splat themselves. Who's ever done those ones? Yep, that's, that's the story of my life, thank you. When we go to who the foolish are, let's have a look what the Greek word says for foolish. If it works, there's Homer. The Greek word for it is moros, which is where we get our word moron. Now let's think about the parable of the five wise bridemaids. And the five morons, now it actually starts to become a little funny. Now we can actually start to see there's a little bit of an extreme here. Imagine five Homer Simpsons trying to light the way for everyone into your village where you are right now. Ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. So the moron, dull or stupid, as if shut up, i.e. heedless, morally a blockhead, apparently absurd. This is actually a legit definition. I didn't make this stuff up. Our foolish, foolishness, Moron. When I actually looked up the more word moron in, a, uh, the, in, a, in another dictionary, it actually used to be a legit scientific psychological term. So a moron was actually someone with an intelligence between 50 and 70 on a scale. And then there was the imbecile, and they were between 25 and 50. And then there was the idiot who was at zero and 25. I never realized those were legit terms. And then obviously as people started to realise, as people started doing stuff, oh, you're a moron, you're an imbecile, you're an idiot. I would have thought that an idiot was probably smarter than an imbecile. That's just the way I put things together. Like if I go, oh, dude, you're an imbecile. I would have thought they're right on the bottom of the spectrum. But apparently the idiot is the bottom. So uh, when we, oh, what's dumb and dumber? Like the, the idiots, you know? And, and obviously somewhere in there is Homer. I'd hate to figure out where he fits in on the whole scale of moron. But... But let's think of the job role of the bridesmaids. Because most of the time, bridesmaids in our culture, they're there to look beautiful. They're their best, you know, the, the bride's kind of friends. If you've been a matron before, your role is to try and make sure the bride doesn't lose her head that day because there's so much going on. You know, if you're a groomsman or the best man, your role is to make sure that, you're, 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 you know, the groom is just chill. And if any problems roll up that day, you're going to sort it out for them because this is their day and just make it easy. Like, that's, that's your job. So these 10, their role is no matter when the groom turns up, especially if it's at night time and they have lamps, they have a job. They're not there to look pretty. 
They're not there to, you know, I'm fabulous. And I'm so glad. And, you know, because the truth is, um, let me ask you a question. Do, are you invited to the, to the wedding because you're the groom's friends or the bride's friends? Gee, you're all a bit silent. My wife didn't choose any groomsmen in my party. My wife chose all of her friends to be bridesmaids. So that's what's happening on the day. So they've got a job at night time that when the call goes out, they are the torchbearers in public to lead the community to the groom. Now, the wise ones grab their lamp and extra oil because they've got a job to do. The morons probably spent their whole time trying to find their favourite pants, make sure that their makeup was on. The lamp's been burning for two days. They're not sure if there's oil in it or not. But because they got an invitation, they're just going to grab their lamp and run out the door because, yeah, it's fun and I'm looking forward to the party. The moron does not consider the job, the role or, or anything. They're just there for the free food and one of my girlfriends is getting married today. But the wise ones understand that they have purpose in shining their light. I mean, think of a tradesman. Think of a builder that turns up to the work site on a bus with no tools and no wood for the job. And then knocks on your door and says, hey, I'm here to, uh, you know, build the extension out on the back. And you go, yeah, no worries. Uh, got a hammer? <laughs> Moron. We're cancelling the contract. There's got to be more on status somewhere in the fine print. And if there's not all of those guys that are now doing contracts for building, better have a more on clause in the bottom or you're going to be paying Homer to use your tools to build your house with whatever wood is lying in the backyard. The story goes to, to these, these people and the, bra, the groom is delayed. Flat tire, wheel fell off the car, the donkey started vomiting. I don't know. There's all kinds of strange reasons why you don't actually get there. Quick, get off the donkey. He's like, ooh, ooh. And you, you, know, you know when the, anyway. So they're all waiting. The groom, he's being delayed. And everyone kind of gets a bit tired because the word came. And, and I guess the herald's feeling a bit stupid now because like everyone's waiting now. And I told them the bride's coming, groom's coming. And, and so well, let's go have a look at, at the sleep issue. I've grown up in church where this is really about an end times prophecy thing. End times and Jesus is coming. And when he turns up, man, you better have your passport ready because when Jesus comes, you're either stamp, you're in or you're out. And, and it's, it's doom and it's gloom and it's judgment. And you better not fall asleep. Um, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was looking into recently, people are going, you know what, I don't think that's really what this parable is about. Yeah, there is, a, there is part of the story is about Jesus' return and being ready, but I think it's more about heart conditions. See, the thing is, all the, all the 10 versions or bridesmaids were all called to do the same thing. They all had the same calling. They all had the same opportunity. They all had the same material. They all had the same gear. Um, can we go to the next one? And so here they are and they all fall asleep. So even the wise fell asleep. So falling asleep is not the problem. My slides are out of order. Could you put up the feeling sleepy or sleep much? Ta-da! I believe that in the living of Christian lifestyle every single day, that when these girls fell asleep, that's just part of life. You know, it says in the word that Jesus said, I've not called you out of the world, but I pray for you when you're in it. 
So we as wise bridesmaids need to conduct a lifestyle where we're always getting oil from from our Father in heaven, so we're always ready. Because there'll be times where work is smashing us. There'll be times where family is sick. There'll be times when all kinds of stuff is going on. And that is just life. But in the middle of all of this, we can still be shining our light. We can still be connecting with our Father in heaven. We can still be gathering gathering, gathering more oil from our relationship with Jesus. See, the thing is, everyone on the planet has an invitation to join in the bridal party at the end. Everyone. In fact, it's the Father's will that none would be lost. The way God sees this planet is He's the Father and you're actually of Him. In the very beginning, whether you believe it or not, God said that He took Adam, which was this clay body and then he breathed and the spirit of God entered earth and became man that's why we're not a monkey because we're not just dirt we're dirt and the spirit of God so you are of God you are eternal Jesus never had problems speaking about life and death and eternity He had lots of illustrations about what it will be like in the afterlife. You're either with God, who is the God of light and everything is good. No sickness, no crying, no decay, light, amazing, party, should have seen. And then there's the darkness and the burning and the ganashing of teeth. But I don't want to be focusing on that today. It's a reality. And and the seriousness of it is that the consequence of a bad decision in this area has has a long sentence on the end of it. So I want to encourage you to think about where you will go in the next life. Because for me, it's not a matter of if there is a next life. There is a next life. And you are eternal. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm about to purchase anything that I really, really love, man, I research. I'm Googling for months. If I'm going to buy a new amp for my stereo and I'm going to spend about a grand or whatever, man, it'll be months. I'll be checking, I'll be checking. If there's something that's rumored to be coming, I'll, I'll wait another six months. Before I pull the trigger on that baby, I'm going to have, it's, going to be the, it's going to be the best. It's going to be the bang for buck. Like I'm not going to spend 40 grand on something ridiculous, but I'm going to find something that's nearly 90% of it for like $1,000. And woo, shopping is my thing. I research, and you know what? So many of us leave our eternity to the flip of a coin. And it's the most important thing that we will ever ever consider and we can't afford to leave it in the background as oh well, she'll be right so the issue with all of this is in our hearts having a lifestyle where we're cultivating intimacy with God because I believe that's what the oil is the issue with these two lots of bridesmaids these two lots of virgins is the fact that one has oil and one doesn't If the oil is the relationship that we have with Jesus and it's every day. Like there are days as a pastor, people will come and ask me stuff. And there's days where I might not have read my word in the morning. I might not be prepared. In other words, ready in advance. 
And then somebody asked me, to pray, oh, can you pray? And I go, oh, okay, yeah, hang on. It's like, Lord, help, Lord, help. And, and I pray a prayer of faith and I'm believing God. There are other days when I get up in the morning and I've read stuff and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me. He's putting oil in my pockets. And it's not for me, it's for someone else. And I'll bump into someone that day and they'll start telling me about something. Say, hey, Nikki. And I'm instantly I go, oh, I can't believe it. You know, the word I read this morning, the worship song that I read, the words that were in it. And I have, oil, I have fresh oil to give. I spend my day looking for someone to give it to. But at the end of the day, you've got to have your own relationship with the bride, with the groom. So on those days where these fools, these homers run up and say, give me the relationship that you have with God. It's like I could teach you over months about how to hear his voice, how to see things. Like today when we were worshiping, I was like, Lord, show me something. And I saw a camp, that, that little lamp that was um, showing at the beginning. And as Holly was saying, everyone sing Jesus, Jesus. And I was looking at this lamp. And every time somebody said Jesus, I saw the flame go up and then down again. And they'd say, Jesus, and the flame would flare again and then go down. And I thought, that's a beautiful picture. That just encouraged me. It was just for me. I, we, we, when Jesus, when we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, it says that he and his Father, they'll come and live in us. This becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't a church. This is the house of God. This is what we build so the church can meet. The church, the temple of God is you because Christ lives in us. I don't do good things to gain favour with God. I have gained favour with God. And so therefore, I'm, I can only love and, and, and respond in kind. The Bible says that I know how to love because He first loved me. When I've experienced real love, then I know how to give real love. Unconditional love. So our relationship with Jesus... Sorry, so the, the oil, it's our heart connection. It's our heart tenderizing. And if we cultivate our relationship with Jesus, we're wise and we all have oil that will burn well into the night. So that when we have days where we're tired or we're sick or we're whatever, we haven't been in that place where we, we can receive, we have a, a well that's stored up that we can just keep topping up our lamp, that we might be financially struggling right now. The bank account might be empty, but we've got a well that's full because he's always provided and we know he's faithful and we know he's good and we know he's never let us down. And so while we're struggling or, while we're struggling or freaking out with a bill right now, we can be drawing upon the oil of experience in the past where we can say he's never let me down. But if you're struggling in finance, I can tell you that he's never let me down and he'll never let you down too. And you can receive that and go, I'm encouraged. And, 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 and you could, you, they might top you up. But on the other hand, if you've never lived it or experienced, you could just choose to freak out. You could choose to go to the cellar and with your works, try and obtain oil. But if you're a, a homer trying to buy oil from someone else, you will miss the party. That's the point of the foolish, trying to buy oil that is supposed to be part of your relationship with God. We can't buy that stuff and make it in time. So we have to have a culture, a lifestyle of actually cultivating the oil. Making oil is not nice sometimes. I was looking in what, about olives 
Because olives, olives and figs and all those things in the Bible, it's used a lot. And olive trees need two kinds of wind. They need an east wind in Israel and a west wind. And the wind that comes from the desert is dry and harsh. It literally melts the grass straight off the ground. And then it needs the rain that comes from the Mediterranean, from the ocean, that brings water and life. And it needs to be stressed and it needs to be watered. And it needs to be stressed and it needs to be watered. And then you take those olives and they're bitter off the tree and they're hard. And then if you're going to process them, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you've got to do for softening it up and salting it and everything else. Or it goes into one of those grinders. And you can't just press an olive. You've actually got to crush it till there. It's basically, if you only just squash it, it just sap comes out and nothing happens. But when they truly crush it, then oil flows. That's why you have extra virgin oil. It's that first stuff that comes out. And then you get virgin, I mean, then you get the olive oil, which is, it's not that first drop, which is the sweetest stuff. And and then they just keep grinding and mashing it and mashing it and mashing it. But we don't like it sometimes when God's letting the west wind blow on us and it's burning the grass around our feet and we're feeling stressed. But we love it when it's raining and there's water everywhere. We don't like it when the wind changes then and then we're stressed. And then we die. We'll love it when the rain's coming again. And then we're stressed and then the rain. And I was looking at the words from a Hillsong song haha, called New Wine. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Because where there is new wine, there is new power. And where there is freedom, the kingdom is there. So I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. I love singing that song. I remember when I was in Darwin, one of my young adults, he said, you know what? I want to give 12 months where I just give a season to God. And so he just said, I get up every morning and I'm saying, God, smash me. And I went, no, dude, you don't know what he's saying. Don't say that. Like he will, he will bless you anyway. You don't know what you're saying. Don't be that foolish, like far out. And you know, and stuff happened and man, but he was there just going, just doing like whole Dragon Ball Z thing. Just like, just bring it on. You know, drinking cans of pure lightning. Just like, just God, you're working me. And, and he just had this relationship with God where everything that smashed him, he goes, this is happening because I asked for it. Bring it on. And I'm like, you know, and after 12 months, he goes, you know what? I've said it's enough now. <laughs> He's like, Dude, you know, I said, God, that was cool. That's I've had enough now. You can stop now. You can stop now. I think cultivating intimacy with God, one of the things that we need to be aware of is when we start chasing the Lord and we start to see Him move through us, because it's about Him. Like, the more we pray for people, the more we'll see things happen. We'll see miracles. I was praying today during worship that people will be healed. Did anyone get healed during worship today? Show of hands, anyone? One. I just keep praying that. Lord, as people reach out to you, I pray that they would be healed so then it's not about the person who prayed for them. It's about the fact that they're seeking you and, you're there and, and they're getting their healing. As we press in, we get our healing. 
And I think the one thing that we need to be aware of as believers, as we start to see God move more and more and more, is not to see amazing things happen and then sit back. Because the more opportunities and things happen, it's like another wick in your lamp. And now you've got a lamp with two wicks. And now you've got a lamp with three wicks. And what will happen is your lamp will dry out very, very quickly. And then you'll have this, uh, this, this desire to see things happen, but you haven't continued to cultivate the relationship with our Father in heaven where we have enough oil to sustain that. So take time in the Lord and in His Word. This is how we cultivate oil. In worship and in prayer, especially over time. There'll be seasons where you have time and it's easy. There'll be seasons where you need to make time. I remember when I was in Bible college, I used to just flick my alarm on at six o'clock. I'd have to put it on the other side of the room because I'd just hit the snooze button. I wouldn't get out of bed. And it was so cold in Kellyville in the, in the farmhouse that I used to live in. By the time you got it to the other side, you were nearly snap frozen. And so the only way to survive was then to run to the shower. Uh, as I ran in, I'd flick the jug for the for the boiling water, sit down with my porridge and my stuff trying to eat hot food to stay warm. And while I was sitting there shivering in my room waiting for the heater to turn on, I'd be going through scripture and writing it out by hand so I would remember it and then saying, Lord, what does this mean for me today? We need to make time. Bearing fruit. It talks about in the Bible that when we are connected to the vine, we're connected to the Spirit of God and the Spirit bears fruit in us. You can't bear fruit by going like this. It's not there. It happens over time. It's the same as not being able to buy your oil from someone else. Quick, I need a litre right now. Yeah, good luck with that. You're just going to burst a puppy valve trying to give more than a litre in the time that you have. We need to be bearing fruit, connected to the vine and resting in our relationship with Jesus. It's not in our own strength. When will Jesus return? Christ return. That's our last one. He is coming back. I nearly got one of those stupid bumper stickers where it said, uh, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. Love it. Super. I mean, people put them on their cars as a mockery. I think it's fun. I think, man, that's great. Let's stick it on there. One of my uh, young adults years ago, she had a, a T-shirt and it said, I found Jesus. And then the underside was, he was behind the couch the whole time. I was like, where did you get that shirt? I want one. And a couple of the people in church came up to me, Nikki, she can't wear that shirt. I said, man, that shirt's fantastic. He said, people need to realise Jesus is in their house. We don't take Jesus. He's already there. We just, hey man, I didn't know Jesus was living behind your couch too. He was behind mine for ages before. I said, hey, you can come out now. Come and live in my heart instead of behind my couch. Jesus is the King of heaven. And this is the thing that I want to impart to you today because a lot of the time we'll look at the virgins and we'll look at work. This is what I have to do. Now I want to show you the heart of the bridegroom. Because when the bridegroom turns up for his bride, if she doesn't really want to be there, he won't really want to marry her. Would you? When he turns up and his wife is dancing and celebrating because he has come for me. It's supposed to be a party. It's supposed to be joy. And it's supposed to be celebration. So if you are a believer in Jesus, do not be condemned, but run after Him. Be ready for Him. Read His Word. Worship Him. Know His name. Ask Him to show you stuff when you read the Bible. The Bible is, is the revelation of God. God's revealed Himself to people. He's physically appeared before people. Start in the New Testament. 
Look at what Jesus did and who He said He was. Look at the things that He did. Jesus says, look at the things that I do and know that I'm the Son of God. If you can't see it in the miracles that I do, then it's fair enough that you don't believe in me. But if you look and see that the miracles that I do proves that I'm the Son of God, then believe in me because I'm giving my life for you. That's the bridegroom who loves you. So easy to love Jesus. So I want to encourage you, church, read your Bible. The Connect Group Bible, the studies are in, in the bookshop. They're available today, they're seven bucks. It gives you a daily reading. Read your Bible. Don't become religious about it, and I've read it and I've checked it off, but learn something every day. When you learn something, you get hungry. When you get hungry, you get oil. Live hungry, unsatisfied Christian lives where you just want more from Jesus. Just want more from Jesus. Lord, let me pray for this person and let them be healed. Lord, let, let my friend join in eternity and know who you are and have eternal life. The Bible says to know Jesus died and rose again is eternal life. If you can believe that Jesus did die and then he rose again, now you know what eternal life is. And you can have that. So I'm just gonna quickly pray. If everyone just close their eyes and bow their heads. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I just wanna give you a minute where you are to say, hey, Jesus, I want to know you. I'm not going to get you out the front, but I will, we all will pray the sinner's, sinner's prayer at the end so people don't know that it's just you. But if you would like to say, you know what, I want Jesus, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to accept the free gift that He's given me of forgiveness and eternal life. And I want to start following Him and I want to start the adventure and the journey of discovering everything that He's done for me and, and everything that I am in Him. You are forgiven. You have a purpose he wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have assurance that you're going to heaven. He wants you to see Him work through your hands. He wants to see the sick healed because you know Jesus. He wants to see, He wants to show Himself and reveal Himself to you that you will know and you will know God. Man, that's the lifestyle I live. And I invite you to join me. So if you would like to say, yeah, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to ask Him to forgive me and I want to follow Him. Then quickly stick your hand up just for a second until I can see it. If I see your hand, yeah, baby, I see that hand. Anyone else wants to join me in this amazing adventure of who Jesus is? If you came with a friend today and you accept Jesus, you go to their connect group. You, you say, man, t tell me something amazing about Jesus. Share, what, share the good stuff that you've learned with me. Tell me who He is. I want to follow Him. Is there anyone else that just quickly wants to raise their hand? All right, church, we're going to pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I accept Your forgiveness and I accept Your love and I want to walk with You until I meet You on that last day. Amen.